Thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareGate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 423. Today, we're going to cover the latest news from the Microsoft Cloud, recorded live August 19th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only it tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences to your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your 14-day free trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. Back to the show. Good morning, CJ. How are you doing today? I'm very well. How are you? <laughs> well, as thankfully, none of our listeners had to listen to it, but I apparently am not doing too well because I just had to re-record our intro multiple times. I kept introducing myself talking to myself. <laughs> After 422 episodes, I still can't get it right. <laughs> Hey, even the greats have off days, man. Well, introduce me to one of those greats. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were just introducing them to yourself. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, I was like, today, AC and Andrew, I'm like, wait, no, I'm doing it again. Now, here we go again. So anyway, but... Uh, That's funny. Yeah, hey, That's funny. Good to see you again, man. Sorry we missed you last week, but it's good to see you back. Yes. But I guess you just not only like didn't come back. You just took out. You just took off. Where are you these days? Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for holding down the fort. We are on holiday and we drove from Seattle over to Yellowstone National Park and we hung out at Yellowstone for a few days. And now we've driven down into Idaho, across and down into Idaho to Sun Valley. So we're hanging out and hanging out in Sun Valley for a few days. And then we're making our way up to a place called Walla Walla, back in Washington for a couple of nights and then heading back to Seattle. So I'm on the road. How long was that drive from Seattle to Yellowstone? We did it over two days, but it's about two six-hour drives. So it's about 12 hours in total. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing. But I tell you what, Montana, 80 miles an hour on the open road, you just chew through the miles. It's really good. And of course, all of our German friends are listening and going, whatever, dude. But, <laughs> but here in the land of freedom, 80 feels a lot like a good extra amount of freedom. And so, of course, I had to do the obligatory take a photo at 88 miles an hour just to see if I would suddenly, you know, transmogrify myself into the future. <laughs> and it didn't happen, though, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, into the future or into the past. Yeah, one of the two would work, right? Either way. Yeah. Yep. Either so way. That was good. What? It was a very yeah long drive, but Yellowstone is absolutely spectacular. So it was, it was beautiful. Totally worth yeah. it. It's been fun watching your pictures on Facebook. I've seen, so I've got a question for you. Are those areas that look like like hazardous waste, like spills, is that all like sulfur 
that's all over the place? Yeah, that's geothermal, you know, super hot water, essentially. It's bubbling up out of the ground. Water, and some of them are mud, but mostly water bubbling up out of the ground. And when I say bubbling, I mean some of them are shooting, you know, 100 feet in the air. But yeah, it's just full of rich, rich, rich in minerals. And then all that, all those different colours are all just the various minerals crystallising over time and things like that. It's pretty incredible. That's cool. That's but a yeah, some, part... Sometimes lots of rotten egg smells. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I bet the kids are making jokes about, you know, p- people farting and stuff like that, I bet. So. Oh, absolutely. Non-stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, they wouldn't be kids if they weren't doing that. So that's exactly. good. Exactly. Yeah. You held down the fort last week solo, uh, talked to Asif which was awesome. Yeah, we had a good discussion on Viva Learning and really just uh, corporate learning in general. Viva has been is interesting to watch what's going on this year with it because Microsoft has you know, labeled this year the year of Viva. It's funny because they've done this a couple of times. There's a year of Teams, there's a year of Viva, there's a year of Yammer. I think they did two years of Yammer, it seems. There's a year of Linux on the desktop too, but that never happened. <laughs> yeah, and it just, it seemed, but every time they say this, like I don't really notice that much of a difference with, anything. I mean, like Yammer, oh, it got a new facelift, but it's like, but I don't really, it didn't feel like that's something to to make it be the year of Yammer. I mean, it's like, this has been the year of the pandemic. That's kind of monumental, but it hasn't been like... Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of overshadowed everything, honestly. But Exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a, you know, sounds like a nice uh, thing to say for marketing. Yeah, we had, so we had a good discussion. Um, I guess I've been, this is actually, it's going to be a preview to one of my picks a little bit later, but I have been, while I've understood it, I haven't really, really started to dive into the whole like crypto world. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, I have a friend who's deep in it from a business sense. And when I say business, wait, I don't mean like. Wait, did you tune into Mike Lindell's cyber symposium and you live, you've learned all about the crypto? I did look, oh, hold on. <laughs> I did look at the cyber symposium and I watched a couple of those tweet threads of people who were there, but that was much more on the entertainment side. It had nothing yes, to do with what yeah. I'm talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, gotcha, gotcha. But, uh, it's been interesting because I mean, I've been, I mean, you've got the you know, the basics of what is blockchain, what is Bitcoin and all this stuff, but I've been looking at it more on the academic side. And then from the regulatory side, there's been a little bit of stuff in the news lately. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine is deep in a, a financial services organization and just seeing what they're doing and talking to him about what they're thinking. And it's gotten, I haven't really thought so much about crypto as being like an investment vehicle. I understand all the other stuff that people talk about, like ways to combat inflation and decentralized finance and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But the make, seeing it as like a revenue opportunity or personal revenue opportunity or seeing it as like actual things like that, I, I thought it was really interesting. So I've been like at night, I've been going through a whole bunch more stuff. I'll talk about that more in my picks a little bit later. But I put a link in the little banter section here where I found a video that I thought did the best job of really explaining by example, what is the blockchain? What are blocks? What is mining? What makes right. things so secure? From a tech person's side, I mean, it, it just, this guy did a really good job of explaining it. So it was nice. referenced. So I, I threw the link in there. I did. Cool. I see that you've clicked on this link here. I did see this link that Microsoft published. It's called the infrastructure map.microsoft.com and it shows really their cloud investments across the globe. It's neat. Because it shows where their where their regions are, mm-hmm. it shows where all the fiber that's laid across the world is more interesting to me. Like seeing the fiber that's laid across the the seafloor, and I wanted to put it in our banters. I wanted to call it out with you because there was two things that I thought were really interesting about it. 
First of all, I mean, seeing the number of undersea cables that go between the United States and South America or North America and South America, the number of cables that go from North America over to Asia across the Pacific Ocean, and comparing that to the fact that there are only what they show in that map, only what looks like two cables or three cables that go between North America and Europe. Yeah. So I found that really interesting because you can see a significant difference in terms of the connectivity between North America and South America, North America and Asia, and then North America and Europe. And it just looks like Europe is way underrepresented. That was just hmm. one observation I thought was interesting. The other one that I thought was interesting that I immediately thought of you is, is that when you go to the site and you just kind of let the animation play, you know, it's really hard to see where New Zealand is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does include New Zealand, though. That's good. Well, you have to look for it because <laughs> the way that the globe is situated, it's really on the bottom curve of the globe. Now, you can yep. go in and explore the map and you can kind of, you know, tilt the globe and you can see, oh, look, there's New Zealand. It's down under, you know, where nobody else can look for it. But yeah. it's kind of like, you know, where are my socks? They're behind the couch. It's kind of like, where's New Zealand? Oh, you have to kind of look under under the under the couch here to find it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in, in fairness, that's how it works in the physical world, too. So, you know, you know it is accurate. <laughs> well, but I'm just yeah. impressed they've included it. To be honest, there is, you know, I've talked about maps without New Zealand on them before on the show. Mm-hmm. This map does include it, which, uh, you know, achievement unlocked. Yeah, I just, when I was like, okay, well, I get how it's oriented. And I'm like, you know, sure, it's a lot more obvious that the Arctic Circle is a thing than it is that the, um, the New Zealand <laughs> is a thing right now. So, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess it's, uh, it's weighted the same way Microsoft is. There you go. Yeah, there you go. A little bit. So, at any nice. rate, so hey, that today, looks really cool. Actually, I, yeah. I, final thought on the map. It looks really cool. It's it's. A, I don't think many people really understand exactly how much infrastructure Microsoft has, and this is an awesome way to visualize it. I, I agree with you, and I think there, a couple of years ago, I did a training event for Microsoft where I taught about what used to be called Express Route. I can't remember what it was called now. Yeah, if it's still right. called the same yeah. thing, but but their peer to peer networking of how to get on board to almost like directly connect to the Microsoft network. And yeah. it was a two-day event. I did one part about more or less the the how to get connected to 360, how to get your Office 365 stuff connected to it and what all that means and the review process and everything. But what was interesting to me about it was I walked away from it. I did one day, one day of the two-day event. Another guy did the, did the first day, which was much more about Microsoft's network and the security and the investments they made. And the big thing that I walked away from is like, this is big. Microsoft's biggest asset is their network. I mean, it is, it's like the quiet little thing that no one talks about or that a lot of people don't, don't appreciate. But what they have done, like this asset they have just can't disappear. It's mm-hmm. so. Yep. Okay. So today I thought what we would do is you did an interview recently. I did an interview recently with another company. Uh, we did a little bit of newsy stuff, but we've been a little remiss on catching up on the news in the Microsoft cloud world. So today we've got a handful of links on some news of some, some announcements and some follow-up articles that we did some stories we've talked about in the past. And furthermore, there've been a lot of big things that have been mentioned in the Microsoft 365 message center that uh, we're going to want to run through. So let's go ahead and let's do that. This episode is sponsored by Geomont. 
Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomon and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomon is a Microsoft Gold partner and part of the technology adoption program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Microsoft Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around our special offer. And now back to the show. All right, CJ, I thought that the couple things I wanted to throw out here, uh, a couple little follow-up links that I wanted, to th- I wanted to throw out here from some previous stories that we had talked about are two big things. One of them is we, we talked a lot about SolarWinds and the SolarWinds hack from late in 2020, and we talked about it a lot more at the beginning of 2021. There's an article around this that came out from Ars Technica where it talked about how the SolarWinds hackers used a zero-day update on iOS to steal Google and Microsoft credentials. I'm not going to go into a lot of depth on it. I'm just going to want to call it out to everyone. And then the other thing I wanted to call out, too, was we talked about that GitHub Copilot feature that GitHub released, which was essentially a way to GitHub was using artificial intelligence, machine learning to be able to help like when you're coding it can add some code to your project using what it's learned from other code that's been stored on GitHub. When that whole thing came out, there's been there were a lot of legal questions about it. Like, could they do this? Was this legit? And there's a good blog post that does a good analysis of the legal implications related to GitHub Copilot. So I'd encourage you, you know, if you guys are interested in that stuff and you want to follow up on that story, it's a pretty good legal article that goes through that stuff. Excellent. Yeah, that would be really interesting to read as that uh, stuff develops. We've got a whole bunch of Microsoft news to get through, but I'll kick off with a couple more general ones. Microsoft has hired a new person. That's not the news. That happens all the time. Um, But but his name is, well, they hired him away from Uber, who was, he was their former product chief at Uber, Manik Gupta. So he is going to be working on essentially Teams Consumer, Skype, and GroupMe. So it's kind of like he's a new corporate vice president for sort of the consumer communications side of Microsoft. Hmm. And I think this is interesting, right? They've hired a fairly hard-hitting product exec from Uber to do it. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting move. Like, there's probably a lot of people don't realize that Teams has a consumer offering. Certainly not many people in the world know it does. But we're all well aware of sort of Skype's slow demise over the last few years and, you know, lack of investment and things like that. So um, it looks like maybe they're trying to put a bit more fuel on this fire and get it revamped and maybe relaunched for the consumer market. We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw that announcement. It's, um, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit offline. I'll be curious to see what goes on with this. For me, it just seems like I'd love to see what, how people or if people are using Microsoft Teams outside of a work scenario and all of these different, you know, happy hour type things that have come together in the last year, uh, last year and a half with people being a little more isolated, being a lot more isolated during the pandemic. It just seems to me that things like FaceTime and Zoom are just much more of what everyone seems to gravitate to. I'm not saying that Teams has not had a very, you know, a lot of success over what's gone on in the last year and a half, but 
when they talk about, I guess we were talking about this with somebody else and they were saying, you know, I, I can see this being a huge thing. You know, they just need to, what with, with Teams Consumer or what do they call it, Teams for Life or something. And I mean, to me, I look at them like, I just don't see anybody that is used to using something like Zoom to switch off of this. I just don't, I mean, when they show the numbers, it's like, show me the numbers and then show me the numbers that does not include everybody that works for Microsoft or is a family member of somebody that works for Microsoft. Yeah. There's no way in hell I would ever try to organize communications with any of my family or friends over Teams. It's just not built for that. Yeah. That's not a slight on Teams, right? That was not its target audience as a business communications tool. So I don't use it for personal reasons, for personal use, I should say. But, you know, they've got the underpinnings of all the communications things required to build a great consumer oriented communications tool. And so maybe something will come of that eventually. But for now, yeah, I just don't see it. I feel the same way. Another bit of news here that we got, this is kind of Microsoft uh, fulfilling something that they announced late last year, late in 2020, is that the Azure government top secret cloud has now been brought into generally available. This is what's called Azure government secret or top secret. It's for government agencies that need to manage top secret data, and it launches with more than 60 of the Azure services and the promise of a lot more to come soon. There's a lot of like different directives and certifications and stuff that they have to end up going through to get this up and running. This is something they talked about back in December of 2020, and it's really targeted to these very specific use case scenarios. Right. It's also another capability of this too, is they're what's referred to as they're in air-gapped regions. So what that means is that basically there's no there's no connection between the I don't want to say the normal Azure, but I guess that's really in the Azure that that the majority of our listeners that you and I use. Yeah, public Azure. Yeah, public Azure in this this Azure government top secret. There's no direct connection between the two of them. They're air gap. They're like it's there's like it's like drawing, putting a moat around it. So sure. this is cool that this is an offering. Uh, I'm not aware of. Uh, I haven't seen like what what other clouds have done in this space. I know that there's you know that there's been talk about the whole Jedi contract and stuff with that, but I haven't seen what other public clouds like what Google and what AWS have related to to this top secret kind of clearance. I, I think that Azure is the only one so that has this right now. You don't even know. Oh my gosh, here we go. <laughs> the spooks have spooks. That's right, that's right. Yeah. I've got a couple of things here on Microsoft News. Microsoft is investing in Rubrik, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. is partnering to protect customers from ransomware. So I'm not familiar with Rubrik's offering, but Microsoft has decided that the tech that they've got is worth investing in and helping them develop their software and partnering in helping them develop the software that helps customers with recovering from ransomware attacks, I think. So I don't really understand it exactly how they what they're doing in this case. From reading the article, it, it almost sounds like they've got sort of a shadow copy of your data somewhere. And when you get hit with ransomware, you're just like, no worries, we're just going back to this shadow copy of it sort of thing. I don't know exactly. But yeah, interesting to see Microsoft investing in the space, especially given all the news with the like the colonial pipeline and the solar winds and attacks and things like that. So that doesn't surprise me. It's interesting. Yeah. So the second article I've got is it's really a pick, but that I'm throwing in in the middle of, of the news section. It's not really news, but it, it's just an interesting article. It's called Rise of DOS, The Rise of DOS, How Microsoft Got the IBM PC OS Contract. So some of us are familiar with, you know, how Microsoft got into the business of with DOS and with the IBM PC and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of subtle detail into how it all happened 
and how close they came to not getting it as well. And just the story, you know, there's been a lot of, over the years, a lot of details that have come out about it, but this article just gave it a, I felt, gave a really good summary of just some of the unknowns that happened during that time, who the players were that were involved, and how close it came to being not a thing. And um, just very interesting to think about that time and time and technology and how close, you know, that sort of sliding doors moment of Microsoft may never have actually taken off. Mm-hmm. So it's a good read. If you're not familiar with those details and you want to learn more, it's a it's a good good bit of backstory on it and um, some of the players that were around at that time. Very cool. I've got one here from around the Microsoft Graph side. The Microsoft Graph JavaScript SDK, they have released a brand new version, 3.0. There's a lot of new things that they've added to this that are are worth taking note of for client-side and server-side if you're using Node developers. You got things like multiple authentication flow support, um, enhancements to the large file upload task. They've got the ability to, this new version also has a minimum requirement for Node.js for version 12 or higher, and they've written everything in TypeScript version 4. So some of the things you're going to find in this, they've got things for the uh, support for the authentication code flow using the Azure MCL browser NPM package. We've also got support for doing the client credential flow. We've got support for, they've removed client one- Client credential flow in JavaScript? Well, server-side, think like Node. Oh yeah, of course, okay. So if you're doing stuff server-side. That makes sense, okay. They also have a way for you to do a large file uploads using the Node stream object, making things a lot easier to go through and to upload large files where you can do like those chunked yep. kind of uploads or resumable, possible and resumable type uploads. So there's a bunch of stuff there that you guys, that everybody can go take a look at with the new Microsoft Graph JavaScript SDK. Nice. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Okay, so we have also a plethora of... (laughs) The Niagara Falls of Uh, message center updates. (laughs) Yeah, this is Microsoft 365. I've been collecting these in... I've been collecting these and I haven't been collecting all of them. Well, I did. I collected all of them. And then I went through and I deleted a bunch of them because I figured, okay, there's some of this stuff we've just been collecting for too long. But I wanted to run through these. There are a bunch of really big ones for for some people that I thought I, I would call out here. Now, I'm going to run through these. We're going to list them out on the in the show notes. If you're interested, the message center ID is going to be listed in the show notes as well to where you can go take a look at it. I'm going to do this. I don't want to say I want to blaze through it, but I'm going to go through it kind of quickie, quickish. And um, yeah, yeah. And CJ, I will invite you that if you if you want to chime in and say something about one of these, please feel free to do it. If not, if you've got like I got nothing to add, if you want to just sit there and just look pretty on vacation, that works for me too. So whatever you like, I will try to come up with a comedic three-word response for each one. That works. <laughs> okay. So here's the first. I'm not going to read the numbers out because. You guys, if you want these, they're going to be in the show notes. So let me just kind of go through each one of these. So first one, this is the biggest one for me. Microsoft 365 apps and services support for Internet Explorer 11 is now over. It is done. It is ended. They are gone. Now, this is not a surprise. They announced this exactly one year ago that they were going to do this. They exact they announced it a year ago that today, or really August the 17th, would be the day when it was going to end. So what that means is that they no longer support IE11. 
users may have a degraded experience or be unable to connect to some of those apps if they're still using Internet Explorer 11. There are even some capability. There's some cool things about this that you can even build with if you're doing like SharePoint framework development. If you developers are, there's ways that you can go configure your project so that you don't. It doesn't add in all of the extra polyfills needed for IE 11, and it will dramatically shrink your project. I'll try and find a blog post that I think I know who I think I know somebody who wrote a blog post about this. I'll try and grab a link to it and put it in the show notes. I don't want to say his name because I don't. I think I might be misremembering who it actually was, but. I'll try and put that in the show notes. So that's a big one. Hella freaking Lulia. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Good riddance, IE11. That was the last evergreen non-evergreen browser that M365 was supporting. And I don't, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God. we're all like, thank you so much. But I mean, you know, let's be clear that Google made this decision a long time ago with all of their apps. GitHub made this decision a long time ago with all their apps. Salesforce did it with their application as well. Microsoft is exactly the first one to the party on this whole thing. For those of you who say, yeah, but my organization still requires it. Look, just because that's the case doesn't mean that that's where the rest of the world has to stick with it. There is a way that you can install the latest version of Edge and you can have it in like an IE 11 mode but you can always fall back when you need it. There are plenty of options where you are not limited to just using IE 11. Yeah, All right. it's not going to concern any developers in the world whatsoever. I've got two message center updates. Oh, sorry, so that uh, the rollout for that, now. I got two things related to OneDrive, specifically OneDrive Sync clients. If you are an older, if you're on Mac OS and you're on an older version of Mac OS, so versions 10.12 and 10.13, if you're on either of those versions, the Stink client is no longer supported. The latest version of Mac Big Sur is 11.5. So if you're on the, the current version of Mac OS, that's what they're basically Microsoft is saying, we're not going to keep improving or supporting those older versions. We're going to focus on the current version. This kind of goes along as well with those people who are on Windows. It is no longer supported if you're on Windows Server 2008 R2. The OneDrive client is also no longer supported. Both of those rollouts happen or both of those things take effect in both in October and September of 2021. Okay, I'm going to need four words for this. Did it ever sync? I actually, it works pretty good for me. It's confusing. It's confusing having multiple accounts and where things are syncing. And is it OneDrive consumer, OneDrive for business, or is it OneDrive for business? My experience or my team's sync experience, it's hard to kind of grok everything, but yeah. it does work for me. Right, yeah. All right, so a little bit of uh, security or a little security-ish stuff. Microsoft is announcing automatic retention, uh, sorry, redirection from Office 365 Security and Compliance Center to Microsoft 365 Defender Portal. So this started back in March, and what they've been doing is they're basically shutting down the Security and Compliance Center, and they're replacing it with their Defender brand. I'm not going to call it Defender product, because this is really just the Defender brand. They expect the the final rollout of this whole thing to be finished by late October of this year. A couple exchangey. Let's see if this is yeah. A couple and then I got a bunch of exchange related stuff here, or messaging stuff. So one of them, this is going to start in January 2022. Now I have talked about this one previously, but uh, this is a, about a topic called plus addressing. This has been something that you could opt into, but starting in January 2022. All accounts are going to have this capability automatically turned on and the opt-in capability is going to be like removed. It's not going to be, it's just going to happen. 
So the idea here with plus addressing is that you can have one mailbox that you can then have multiple kind of paths that come into it using different email addresses. But if you, in the alias part of your email, so let's just say I have an email address that's info at microsoftcloudshow.com. If I wanted to have one for, say, billing, and if I want a folder for billing, and if I wanted to have another one for like listener questions or another one for whatever, I could say info plus listener questions at microsoftcloudshow.com or info plus CJ at microsoftcloudshow.com. And that way, in your mail client, you can actually filter things out a little bit more and treat them as separate email addresses to whoever was using it. But to us, as it came in, it would also go to the same mailbox. This is cool. It is cool. It's been in the email RFC for decades. Mm-hmm. And it's been in Gmail for decades. It seems. Yep. <laughs> Another exchange related thing, Microsoft's getting rid of something called Message Trace. They're switching that all over to something called that was in the existing security and compliance center, and they're moving all of that over to the Exchange Admin Center. That starts, or that happens in October on October the fifth in twenty twenty one. They also are having; they're also changing their sender recipient pair receiving limits in three sixty five. That's going to take effect in September. So what this is is that starting in September, they're going to add a limit to the sender recipient pairs. It's going to apply to messages that are received by an Office 365 mailbox from each specific sender. If a sender sends over 33% of the threshold, which is 3,600 messages per rolling hour, to a specific recipient, then the limit's going to kick in and the mailbox is no longer going to be able to accept messages from that sender. Right, so basically, it's kind of like a spam, yeah, spam control stuff. Gotcha. The last thing I got, I got two Microsoft Teams related things. First of all, the Teams meeting record of recording expirations. There's an auto expiration that's going to kick in. That's going to start rolling out in late September, running through November. Um, they're going to automatically expire 30 days after they were recorded if no actions taken. 60 day is the the default that was chosen because that was like the average across all tenants. But you can be modified if you have a different expiration timeline that you want. That's just the default that is set up. You can change a meeting expiration and you can always download the video and save it somewhere else if you need to. Buy more hard drives. There you go. (laughs) I think it makes sense, right? Like we're not going to have any use for 98% of the meetings being recorded for all of time, right? Like that's it's not, it doesn't make sense. So it doesn't make sense. I mean, I've been looking at it for my class and like I do monthly office hours and I was looking at it the other day as I'm getting, I'm starting to work through a refresh on my SharePoint framework course. And I've got all of the office hours going back in 2017, 2018. I'm like, no one is going to watch those. And yeah. none of that is timely. Let's I just might as well purge that stuff. Yeah. Let's see. There's that one. And then another one is a new device parsing logic in teams, Microsoft teams, call quality dashboard. This is going to roll out at the end of August, 2021. And they're effectively, they're creating, they have a new like algorithm that's going to improve the accuracy on how they identify capture and rendering devices that teams users rely on every day. So it's going to give administrators, you know, a better view of their device quality landscape. That's going to start at the end of August. So it's just a change where you should see that the reporting stuff is going to get more accurate. It's going to give you better information than it does today. And you should start seeing that Hmm. really starting in September of 2021. Nice. That is everything that's fit for the news as according to the Interconnell filter (laughs) that it had to go through. We've got one more before we move on. Okay. About AWS. Yes, this one I wanted to let you do. This one, I have a question for you before you do this. Yeah. Is it a cloud show episode if one public cloud doesn't get 
awarded <laughs> a giant defense contract by the government and or in another public cloud bitches and moans about it or that there's a continuation on the saga on one that has already happened in the past. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. I also... Th- this is a legitimate episode. Absolutely. I also feel like it's like the tree falling in the forest, right? If nobody was there to hear it, did it really make a noise? There you go. It's like that with IT contracts with the cloud providers and the government. It's like mm-hmm. if a government contract gets awarded, is it really a contract if somebody else doesn't take issue with it and sue them over it? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Anyway, AWS is apparently winning a $10 billion contract from the NSA to move a bunch of intelligence data to the cloud. And of course... Microsoft is filing a, bid, a protest against the bid. Oh my Who'd gosh, you don't, I, oh, you don't say. Yeah. Can <laughs> anybody say tit for tat? <laughs> right? AWS is protesting Microsoft winning Jedi for a while. Now it's Microsoft's turn to protest AWS winning this one for the NSA. I wonder if there's a job description on LinkedIn yet that says, you know, for, for the lawyer legal profession that just says, you know, I fight other clouds, government contracts. Imagine how much money is being made by the legal firms over this. I don't know. I, it's... Yeah, crazy. So much effort and time. So, uh, yes, we'll, see. We'll, we'll follow along with what that happens. I suspect there'll just be some blanket thing where all bids are won by all parties and they all just get a share of it. So there's no arguing yeah. at some point. That's seems inevitable. The government will get fed up with, the government and taxpayers eventually will get fed up, the US government I should say, will get fed up with, you know, not being able to make progress on critical projects because they just get tied up in legal shenanigans for years. Yeah, I could see see a poor <laughs> manager, <laughs> poor manager at, at the, in the government, like Defense Department or NSA or CIA or whatever, and like going, you know what we need? We need a new cloud provider. And they're like, oh my God, please, I don't want to do yeah. this right now. Can we? Can you start this after I retire? Because I'm retiring in a few months. <laughs> this is how organizations become Luddites and not innovative anymore, right? When it's too painful to move forward, they just stop trying. And so they've got to fix it. I don't blame yeah. them. Anyway, so some AWS news to sort of uh, round things off. Fun stuff. All right. How about... We transition over to a couple little picks. Let's do it. Fun stuff. Yay. All right, Mr. Johnson, I'm going to let you kick us off with a new, with a pick. Okay. Mine is definitely not cloud-related, and it, weirdly, it's not space-related, but it is aviation-related. Did you know an F-35 pilot's helmet costs more than a Ferrari and take takes two days to get fitted? <laughs> Whoa, no kidding. Yep, apparently so. So um, I guess it's more like being fitted for a Formula One seat, the process that they go through, where each pilot's head is essentially scanned and fitted. There's a liner that goes inside an F-35's helmet, and they take that liner with them from place to place, and they can put it into a helmet and, um, and use it so it fits their head perfectly. And it's important because the optics in the helmet, it's like a heads-up display projected into their eyes, essentially. And so it's really important that it fits perfectly so they get they get that information displayed in their eye, you know, that they can see it correctly. Mm-hmm. But there are some features that make this really cool, like not just a heads-up display in terms of, you know, what speed and altitude you're at and where your target is and all of the parameters about where you're going and all that sort of stuff, but you can also turn on a mode somehow where you can see through the fuselage of the plane. So if oh, you look yeah. down... You can see your target below you, for example, or through the wing if you look off to the side. And there's cameras underneath the aircraft that allow this to be projected into the helmet. So it's kind of like 
augmented reality slash virtual reality sort of smushed into one in some cases in their helmet. But anyway, it takes two days to get fitted. They've got to do all sorts of tests and what's the right term, like um, validation and calibration, things like that. And uh, also they've all got weird different head sizes. And so they go, they have this headliner made. Crazy, huh? Man, and it also costs nuts. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's funny because it's like with, it's amazing. Like you ever wonder like how far this has gone to, how, if this has gone too far to one side. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, this aircraft is a $78 million aircraft, right? And now yeah. you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for a specialized helmet that has to be custom fitted for this particular pilot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. talk about job okay. security. Well, apparently getting a haircut can screw the whole thing up and you need to go, you need to keep your hair a certain length so it doesn't change, you know, the gap, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, apparently a haircut or gaining or losing too much weight can change things to the point where you need to go get it done again. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. What do you got for cool us? Pick. So I'm going to continue on with what I said at the beginning of the at the beginning of our show, like I've kind of been on this educational deep dive on the whole crypto world. It's a tech bender, isn't it? You've gone on a tech bender. It is. I've, I'm, I, and it's been going on now for about a week or two, and I've been holding off to talk about it. I'm not at all like a, uh, an expert on this stuff, but it's the academic side that's really interesting. So I, I've said it before on the, in the on the show. I think that you know one of the things I think is really interesting. Is I love listening to the oral arguments from the U.S. Supreme Court that are shared because you just—it's one of the reasons—is it's just listening to incredibly smart people on multiple sides of an argument and people litigating an argument with a lot of structure and decorum around the discussion and how the, the rapid fire of the questions that are coming at these people and just how much they know about it. So a friend of mine turned me on to this. There's a from the MIT Open Courseware. I have a link to a specific course that they share on YouTube by, well, the title of the course is Blockchain and Money, and it's from fall of 2018. It's been watched over 470,000 times. Wow. And one of the neat things about this, one of the things that's really interesting about it, it's, it's quite long. Every lecture is posted. You can go to the, the main site for the course, and you can see like all the additional reading, which it's cool because it's incredibly well-researched. And there's a lot of additional really good reading that's there. But what I find that's really good about it that is very pertinent. I mean, he goes through all this stuff, like, you know, the basics. What are mo- what's money? What is ledge- What are ledgers? What is Bitcoin? Bit- blockchain-, blockchain basics, consensus, smart contracts, public policy, permission systems. Wow, that's cool. It goes into a lot of stuff, but what central banks, blah, blah, blah. So here's what's really interesting about it. The author of the course, there's two pieces that, are, pieces that are really interesting aside from everything I just said. One is the author of the course, or the instructor, is a guy named Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler is right now the chair of the SEC. He's also been involved in discussions with the Senate and with the House over regulatory interests by the SEC huh. in the crypto world. So you're starting, you get to see a little bit of what he's thinking. And while I'm watching this, there were news articles that were coming out from quotes that he had had about about his thinking are related to the SEC and Elizabeth Warren, the Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's also paid a lot of attention to this, at least since the whole Robin Hood fiasco a couple months ago. Yeah. The other thing that's really cool about this is that the people that are in the room that he discusses it with, it's very much a guided discussion, but there's a lot of really smart people that are in the room that are shown during, not shown, but you can hear them during these videos. There's some very well-respected business authors in there like Larry Lessig. There's 
computer science PhD students and professors from MIT that are in there as well that are voicing their input in it. And the, the discussion, the thread that goes on, is very easy to listen to. I, it's one of those things like after dinner, I'm grabbing my iPad. And if we don't have anything, if my wife and I don't have anything we were going to watch, I grab my iPad, sit down on the couch, grab a little, pour myself a Manhattan or a little bourbon or something. And I just nurse yeah. one for like, nurse one a night. And I, I spend more time on my phone listening to this on my iPad and then grab my phone and I'm Googling like stuff that he's saying left and right. And it's just That's so cool. It's really like good. a great way it's, to get up to speed with everything and, and learn a ton about it. It really is. I, I'm finding it really, I'm only, I'm only a handful of episodes into it, but I can't wait to dive into it. Like hearing things about monetary public policy, the role of the central bank and yeah, eh, it's just a learning thing. It's, it's an area that I had a blind spot in and that's really good. So very cool. That's my pick this week. Great pick, man. Great pick. Awesome. Well, dude, good seeing you again. Likewise. It's good to be back in the saddle. I'm guessing that... It's nice to have you back in the saddle. I'm guessing uh, we, I, we will. you'll be back back home by the time we sit down next time for another episode. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation. Don't work too much and have a safe, safe travels on your way home. We'll try to do all of those things. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Take care. Have a good one. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.